Jesse, his dad's name. He, he and Con are doing very well. They still send me pictures and, and I get to watch them on Facebook. Um, and and, and they, are, they are a family. You know what I mean? They are a family. And, and uh, I don't know, it's just one of the miracles, I guess, that recovery housing, one of the effects and the ripple effects, because it doesn't only affect Jesse, it doesn't only affect Connor, his son, you know what I mean? Uh, Jesse's mom and, and aunts and uncles, and I see pictures of, I mean, just this family, you know what I mean? That, and I can't, I'm no future teller, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't say for sure one way this is how it would have been or wouldn't have been. But what I do know is that that particular Oxford house and and the people that were there to pitch in helped reunite and create that family that maybe not, maybe wouldn't have been. That makes sense without that opportunity. I'm Heather Venegas, and you're listening to King County Recovery Conversations a place to celebrate recovery and help break the stigma of addiction and mental health. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to King County Recovery Conversations. I'm thrilled today to be sitting in this space uh, with some amazing recovery champions. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about recovery residences and my amazing and vivacious co-host, Elise Bryson, the sober curator, is in the house. Hello, Elise. Hello, Heather. And we're joined by Ricky Mogul from Oxford House and Jason Bliss from Walker. Hello. Good morning and happy to be here with you all today. So I'm going to give a little bit of their bios because they sent them over and then we'll jump right on in. So uh, Ricky Mogul is a senior outreach coordinator with Oxford House incorporated for Washington State. Ricky moved into his first Oxford house in 2005 and celebrated 18 years of recovery on January 15th, 2023. Ricky is a certified recovery coach and has helped create multiple recovery coalitions that focus on uniting the various recovery support services, advocating policy change and combating stigma. Ricky also works with tribes, the Department of Corrections, CPS, treatment centers, law enforcement, as well as state and county agencies to help with placement for people in Oxford House. So wonderful to have you here. Ricky is also on the King County Recovery Coalition Advisory Board and has been a member longer than I've been a part of the organization, which is five and a half years. Jason Bliss holds the distinguished position of executive director of the Washington Alliance for Quality Recovery Residences, Walker. His remarkable leadership and dedication to the cause have resulted in the establishment of numerous recovery homes and invaluable contributions to countless homes spanning multiple states. Jason's commitment extends beyond his executive role as he actively participates in various boards, including the Benton Franklin Recovery Coalition and the Benton Franklin Behavioral Health Board. Additionally, he makes significant contributions to the field through his involvement in the Central Washington Fentanyl Task Force and the Overdose Fatality Review Board. 
His extensive experience and expertise are evident in his consultancy work with county, state, tribal, and federal human service entities, behavioral health organizations, law enforcement agencies, prosecutors, therapeutic courts, child protective services, and the Department of Corrections. Through these collaborations, Jason has played a pivotal role in establishing and sustaining a comprehensive nationwide recovery housing network impacting the field of addiction recovery and behavioral health. Wow. Amazing to have such recovery champions in the house today. I'm very honored. Um, I would love it if uh, each one of you could share a little bit about your recovery journey, especially um, your own personal experience being in a recovery house and how that impacted your recovery and brought you where you are today. Jason, would you like to go first? Absolutely. Thanks for the uh, thanks for warm welcome, uh, Heather. Um, very happy to be here today. Um, my my recovery uh, my recovery journey started uh, back in uh, 2010. God willing, um, on Valentine's Day in a few few short months, uh, we'll be celebrating 14 years of recovery. Um, before, before that, uh, my, um, my journey, my journey to, uh, recovery and, uh, in my past was a bit checkered, if you will. Um, I grew up on a, grew up on a small farm, uh, in Eastern Oregon, uh, primarily, uh, cattle and, um, alfalfa spent a lot of time, a lot of time working, working on the, working on the farm. Life was great for me as a young man. I had um, I had a total of sixty eight brothers and sisters while growing up. My family took uh, medically handicapped foster kids for the state of Oregon. Um, so I I like to say I, I I bottle fed and changed more diapers with little ones before I had my own children than than since I that I have since. Um, and it kind of the the big heart that my parents had um, and all of the all of the love that was shown to all of those children that we had in our home kind of gave me the springboard, if you will, to continue, continue to do the work I did. Uh, and I do today. Um, I, I suffered for, uh, many, many, many years, uh, with, uh, with stimulants, um, primarily, primarily cocaine, that cocaine switched over to amphetamines. I lived, um, as I said, I lived in, uh, Oregon for a great many years. I spent a little bit of time over in, uh, New York, uh, attended some college over there. Um, while I was over there attending school, I also picked up uh, a love affair for cocaine. Um, that that uh, addiction ultimately wound up costing me my profession. Uh, I was going to school uh, studying emergency medicine, and it ultimately wound up uh, costing me costing my me my career. Um, I came back to uh, Oregon still with one heck of an addiction. The cocaine, to be honest, wasn't near as good in Oregon as it was over in New York, <laughs> and um, so I, I I got into uh, amphetamines. It was very very costly at the time to purchase it. So, being the uh, resourceful young man I was, I quickly learned how to start cooking the stuff, and then then life just quickly spiraled spiraled down spiraled downhill uh, spiraled downhill for me. Um, had a few few different uh, stints. Uh, being incarcerated in uh, Oregon, um, in Oregon, Washington, uh, Idaho. My my last my last stint of incarceration was here. Um, it, it ended. 
um, in early, early to 2010. During that last end of incarceration, I just, um, I, I, I came up to the realization that, I, that God had more for me here on this earth, that I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't destined to be out there um, ruining lives and uh, contributing to the downfall of society that I, I, I had more to give. Um, I was tired of, I was tired of uh, being away from my family, um, being away from my, being away from my four children. I've been through a couple marriages, all that ended badly due to my addiction. Um, fortunately, the, the mothers were all smart enough to see that I was in my addiction, didn't want their children to have absolutely anything to do with that and remove themselves from the, from, from, from the equation. Well, my, my last stint of incarceration, um, I, I was here in uh, Washington where I reside now. Home for me today is uh, Tri-Cities. And uh, I, I was actually sitting in the Benton County Jail <laughs> And they had told me that I wasn't um, I wasn't going to be released from from incarceration from either the Benton County Jail or from Shelton until I could prove to them that I had a local address. Well, that got that became kind of challenging for me. I, I wasn't from Washington. I didn't I didn't know anybody here. So I I had met one gentleman while I was uh, in jail, and he said, "Hey, Jason, you're going to need an address. Why don't you call Oxford House?" And I said. What on, what on earth is Oxford House? I, I knew absolutely nothing about it. And fortunately for me, back in that time, uh, the Oxford Houses were still able to accept, if they were willing to, collect, collect calls from jails and from prisons. So I called an Oxford House uh, from, um, uh, I called an Oxford House from the Shelton Intake Center. And I said, hey, this is, this is who I am. This is what I'm trying to do. And they said, you know what? Our house is full, but we're willing to give you a chance. Go ahead and put our address down. You can go ahead and list us as a sponsor. When you get out, we'll have a place uh, on our on our couch for you. And unfortunately for me, I, when uh, when it uh, came time for for my release, everything was approved. I was accepted, and and I moved into I moved into that Oxford house, and that's kind of that's kind of where my my journey began. Um, I lived. I lived in a couple different uh, Oxford houses, spent about uh, two years, uh, two years in that Oxford house all at the same time um, doing extensive outpatient treatment. Um, I did my, my recovery journey included 30 days of inpatient treatment. Then when I got released from there and transitioned into the Oxford house, it also encompassed about six months of extensive uh, outpatient. Um, met a lot of great, wonderful, uh, people in the Oxford house, uh, built one heck of a good, uh, a good support system there. Um, as my, as my recovery journey, uh, continued on, I, I, I was working some, some small jobs. Um, I ultimately, ultimately wound up landing, landing a job with, a with an international, uh, moving company. We were moving people all over the U S and, uh, all over Canada. And I was doing that for, for, for a good while. I, I want to say for probably a year and a half, two years. And then ultimately I was offered a position uh, with Oxford House uh, in a paid capacity down here, down here in Tri-Cities to uh, help assist and, and replicate the model. And though I was in a darn good position and I was making uh, pretty decent money when I was doing that, uh, when I had the moving company, my, my heart, my heart, it was just really tugging at my heartstrings. I, I graciously accepted that job uh, with Oxford House and worked to open houses and uh, be able to 
be able to replicate the model um, aside uh, alongside uh, Ricky Mulvo for a great, 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 great many years. Uh, Ricky, Ricky's been gracious enough to show me a great many things along the way. Been a brother to me, and also uh, always been there for me to continue to be able to watch his his tail lights as he's he's got a few more years ahead of me in this journey. But it's been uh, it, it was a it was a tremendous uh, it was a tremendous learning experience for me. Um, been able to open and replicate the model. Uh, helped with houses here in uh, the state of Washington. Uh, helped another one of our coworkers, Stacy, up in Idaho, open some houses. Worked with houses uh, in, in Alaska. I've worked with some houses in Montana. It's just been an absolute wonderful, one, w- wonderful experience. Um, approximately two and a half years ago, uh, had an employment. Uh, opportunity that uh, came up and presented itself with the Washington Alliance for Quality Recovery Residences. Um, I applied. Um, I applied for that uh, for that position and and ultimately accepted it. Again, no no hard feelings, no bad vibes whatsoever towards Oxford House. Absolutely wonderful organization. That to be honest, I I, I wouldn't be here where I am. Um, also had the opportunity for some more growth and to be able to work with a lot of other great, um, great providers across Washington state. Um, uh, currently we've got, oh, getting real close. I want to say to 130 homes that we've currently got accredited. I want to say probably another 70, 70 in the, in the wings waiting, waiting on accreditation. But, um, yeah, it's, it's great. Just, um, very, very 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 happy for my for my recovery i wake up uh, i'm blessed for the amount of years and still still having the opportunity to give back to others thank you so much jason such a full circle story ricky how yeah. did you end up in a recovery house uh against my will i guess Oh, yeah. <laughs> ironically enough yeah i really had no interest or desire to move into a recovery home um, you know, I spent several years, about 13 years, probably in active addiction. Um, I'm from Kitsap County or as we call it, Kidnap County, if you're from there. Um, you know, I, re- I, I ran the streets for a long time. I had pretty much burned every bridge that was available. Uh, one that seemed to hold out no matter what was my mom. And so when um, I actually followed a female into recovery, that was my higher power at the time. <laughs> so, I think a few of us have done yeah, that. And, uh, female. She male. ended up getting in some trouble and uh, got took drug court in Kitsap County. And um, one of the conditions of her drug court was that if I didn't go to treatment, we could no longer be together. So she called me Collect uh, 2004 um, on my birthday, which was... December 30th, and I had crawled back into my mom's house about two weeks prior to that, um, slept for about a week. Um, she called Collect, saying me, saying me happy birthday over the payphone from <laughs> Kitsap County Jail, and uh, let me know she was taking this drug court thing. Um, she laid out what the conditions were. Um, at least by then, having that ability to go back to my mom's couch for that couple weeks gave me a little bit of clarity. And um, I was in treatment within two weeks, got on the phone, got into treatment. Um, I really, treatment was kind of a trip. I had never been before. It was my first time. Um, I went to Kitsap Recovery Center, whoop, whoop, alumni. 
Um, <laughs> I really, something really clicked, you know, um, I, I probably still to this day couldn't hundred percent put my finger on exactly what that was, but something clicked when I got into treatment, um, learning about the steps and learning about a little bit about myself and why I was the way I was and listening to people come into the treatment center and sharing their experience and coming in saying, oh yeah, I've been clean for a few years and I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's just, it was inconceivable for me. Um, I'm born and raised in Kitsap County. I couldn't really go anywhere without running into somebody. I stand at the bus stop for too long and somebody would drive by that I either used with or got in trouble with. Um, after inpatient, um, I decided I liked what I was learning and I decided to go ahead and continue. I was, I had the benefit of what was called a DOTSA at that time um, through DSHS. Yes. And, and so it paid for my inpatient treatment and, and it would pay for my outpatient treatment. And so I continued staying on my mom's couch and I uh, was doing outpatient. Um, one day my outpatient counselor said, well, we think you should interview at an Oxford house. Do you know what Oxford house is? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure they brought a presentation into my treatment center, but I'm pretty sure I slept through most of it. So no, I'm not really familiar with exactly what it was. She said, we think you should interview at an Oxford house. And I said, well, yeah, I think I'm good. You know, <laughs> well, I was comfortable, you know, I was on my mom's couch. I could come and go as I please. I could eat what I wanted. You know what I mean? I didn't have any bills. Um, and they said, no. She said, I don't think you understand. I think we, you need to interview at an Oxford house or don't come back because you're not going to grow where you're at. And uh, so reluctantly, she gave me a number to call and I set up an interview. Pinecrest Oxford House in Bremerton. And um, so I went to the interview. Um, I was brutally honest. I really tried to bomb the interview. <laughs> I really had no interest, you know. And, um, you know, through the several questions that they asked in the interview process, they sat me down and I got to meet everybody who lived there. Um, they ran me through a series of questions, uh, gave me a tour, got to see where my room was going to be or my bed. I was going to be in a shared room at the time. Um, I tried my best, and after the interview process was over, they had me uh, step outside while they discussed my interview. Turns out a few of the guys there had gone through the same outpatient treatment center with the same outpatient counselor. She definitely knew exactly what she was doing. Uh, I came back into the house, and they called me back in, and they said, we have good news and we have bad news. What do you want first? And, of course, I was in search of the bad news. <laughs> so I said, what's the bad news? They said, well, you didn't get that 80% vote that is required. And I said, oh, that's okay, too bad. And I turned around to leave. They said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Don't you want the good news? Because in Oxford House, it requires 80% of the membership to accept a new member within the house. So everyone that lives in the house has a vote on who gets to move in. So um, they said, yeah, well, okay, what's the good news? They said, well, you got 100% of the vote. I said, oh, great. 
Great. So great. <laughs> and, um, and I said, well, you know, I, got, I don't have a job. I don't have any money. You know what I mean? And, and uh, so I don't have to figure some things out before I can move in or whatever. And I go back home. And I go back to outpatient class. And um, they weren't lying when they said it was intensive outpatient. Well, you, they put you on the hot seat, at least there. You're on the hot seat. And they don't let you squirm your way out, you know? of conversations. Well, they asked, of course, did you, how'd it go? And I said, it went good. <laughs> and we tried to leave it at that. They said, no, no, no. Did you get accepted? I said, yeah, of course they accepted me. <laughs> that big old ego of mine. <laughs> and, uh, well, when you moving in, I said, well, you know, I got to get, I got a job. I, I don't have a job. I don't have any money. I got a pack. Or, you know, I was making up every excuse, dragging my feet, you know? And, uh, she said, see me after class brought me back and said, yeah, so this thing, Adatsa, that you're on actually pays for you to move into an Oxford. <laughs> I said, oh, great. <laughs> great. <laughs> there yep. was that excuse. She hands me a check to bring to the Oxford. She said, now you got no excuses. So, you know, go get your stuff and move in. So I drop off the check and they say, sweet, when you're moving in, they, I said, I still got a pack, you know, and yada, 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 and still dragging my feet, a little hesitant. I'm pretty sure the hesitation was for a number of different reasons. Maybe I wasn't sure if I was done yet, you know, mm. um, and, and moving in there was kind of a, a surrender. Maybe I didn't recognize that at the time, you know what I mean? But really dragging my feet. And I want to say a week and a half, two weeks went by after I dropped off that check and I still hadn't moved in. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, higher power works in mysterious ways. Um, I was moving into a shared room with this gentleman and he called me and he said, what are you doing? <laughs> and still comically said, oh, I'm just watching TV, man. What are you doing? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 what are you doing? Because you paid two weeks ago. You're supposed to be here already. And I said, well, yeah, you know, I got a pack still and trying to make excuses. And he said, you know what? No, forget that. He said, throw some clothes in a bag, a backpack, throw some clothes in a backpack. I'm coming to get you. He said, I will give you a ride back tomorrow to help you pack it. Whatever it is that you need to pack. We just got to get you here. So I uh, threw my clothes in a backpack. Realized that was all I owned anyways. <laughs> I was going to say, Ricky, how much stuff did you have? <laughs> you know, and in his mind, the other world. <laughs> he picked me up and brought me back to the house, you know, and he uh, brought me down the room. He said, here's your bed, you know, here's your dresser. You know, this is a, we had a bathroom in our shared room. He's like, this is our bathroom. Just clean up after yourself. We, we only got to share it with each other, not like everyone else who's got to share it with five other people. You know, sliding glass door, you want to go smoke, just use a butt can, you know. Um, really laid it out. He looked at me, he's like, you got a pillow? Because I'm going to stand there with my backpack feeling pretty pitiful at this moment. And uh, I said, no, man, I ain't got a pillow. I used my mom's couch pillow, and I, I figured I probably couldn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh he's like yeah he walked over to the closet and 
pulls out this brand new pillow in plastic and he's like, here, bro, I got you. And I was like, oh, are you sure you can give me one of your old ones? You know, not going to give me a new one, you know? And he said, now somebody did it for me. And me a pillow, you know? Yeah. There yep. it is. And uh, yeah. he said, you got any food? I said, nope. I'm pretty pitiful right now. I'm like, nope, no food. He said, look, why don't you put your clothes away in the dresser? Guess that'll come upstairs. We'll make you something to eat, and then we'll go hit a meeting. My life's never been the same since. So that the guys in that house, you know, various levels of uh, various levels of recovery and 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 programs are coming from all different walks of life and different experiences. Um, really helped me learn a path of recovery. And that there was a new way of life, you know. Um, my first house meeting, they, they meet weekly to discuss house business. My first house meeting, um, I'm sizing everybody up, you know. <laughs> Everybody's sitting around the room, and I, I it's new to me. And uh, I'm sizing everybody up. Who runs this? What, what, you know, and I'm just still some of that old street mentality, you know, in overdrive. And, um they get through it and I'm learning they're they're motioning and they're voting and they're making me vote because I'm a member and I don't even know what I'm voting on, but I'm just voting with the group, you know? <laughs> um, and, and then, and then we get through the meeting and the meeting's over and, and, and it's like, all right, motion to close. I'm like, okay, I guess that wasn't too bad, you know? And uh, one of the guys jumps up and says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. We got to do a family photo. And I'm like, family photo? I'm like, yeah, it's cool, Ricky. Don't worry about it. It's cool, you know? And, um, one of them, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah. They jump up. They start moving furniture around in the living room. And one guy takes off to his room, comes back up with a camera, sets the camera up on the back of the couch. Um, and everybody's standing in front of the uh, fireplace, you know? And, and I'm like, unsure. And they're like, get over here, man. Come on. They put their arm around me, you know? And, snap this picture and I'm pretty sure I wasn't smiling. I, I probably weighed a hundred pounds. Eating and sleeping were not my strong suit in addiction. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, yeah, we all hopped, a few of us hopped in the car, ran down to Fred Meyer. We printed out that photo, we bought a frame, got back to the house, opened it up. He's like, where should we hang it? You know? And then I started looking around the living room and I noticed that there are family photos everywhere in that house. Mm. Down the stairs, mm. in the second common area. I'm like, man, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, he goes, how about here? He puts a tack in the wall and he hangs the photo up and he's like, welcome home, bro. And he gives me a hug. And, you know, over the next week or so, I, I start looking at these photos and, and there's just, massive amounts of different people some of them you could tell the house had been around for a long time because it looked like 70s hairdos 80s hairdos you know like really old school and, um, yeah there was people in there in the pictures that i was recognizing from meetings that i was going to you know and i'm like hey i know that guy from a meeting he he's been clean for like a million years you know he had like 18 months clean to me though that was 
it's a million years. Yeah. Yeah. And you're new. Yeah. The next time I, his name, oh, yeah, that's Bud. He lived here for like three years. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, and the next time I went to that meeting and Bud came walking in, I'm like, Bud, you're on my wall, bro. He said, Pine Crest. And we were instant friends, instant connection. That house was literally two blocks away from the last place that I used drugs. And a whole lot of places left in Kidnap County that I hadn't used drugs or gotten in trouble. They really kind of built a safety net around me, took me under their wing. <laughs> Volan told me, hey, you're the new guy, so you got to go to this fundraiser or car wash this weekend. <laughs> you know, <laughs> dropped me off at this gas station and uh, said, go talk to the guy sitting at the buckets. Um, I sat down, introduced myself. And we probably chatted for two hours. We never washed one car. Nobody else showed up. Um, he's like, yeah, it doesn't look like anybody's coming. You know, it's like, what do you say? We go hit a meeting, dump these buckets, go hit a meeting. And uh, turned out he was in a service position as a fundraiser chair for the chapter of Oxford House for that area. Um, we became instant friends and brothers. Um, he actually took me under his wing and got me involved in service pretty early on, you know, um, out of myself and out of my poor me pity situation. Um, really kind of encouraged me to step up, which got me involved. Um, I was involved in service. I lived in that house for four and a half years. That house or house. Needless to say, I'm in quite a few photos, manly photos over there. <laughs> um, every time somebody moved out and, and they refilled that spot, we took another family photo to add them to the family and hung it on the wall. Um, yeah, it was about 2010. Uh, Oxford House Incorporated approached me, and it was, again, due to that gentleman who was sitting next to those buckets at the car wash um, <laughs> and said, hey, there's an opening in Seattle for an outreach worker position. And we'd love for you to apply. It was over in Seattle and me being over in Bremerton. It might as well have been a foreign country because I still wasn't, I hadn't been able to leave the county for a very long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, I talked with my sponsor and I talked with sponsees and uh, roommates and, and, and they said, what's the worst that can happen? You go over there, you don't like it. You get the job, you go over there, you get to help one person and realize it's not for you. You got all this to come back to. And so I took a leap of faith. I filled out an application. March of 2010, I was on my way to Seattle as a, to become an outreach worker. Um, and I guess the rest is history. I've been doing it now since 2010 as an employee. I did it for service work for about four and a half, five years prior to that. Coming up in this January, God willing, I'll be celebrating 19 years in recovery, which is still sounds like it should be coming out of somebody else's mouth most of the time, you know, like inconceivable. So, but I get the benefit of helping to provide the same blessings for other folks that I received. So, you know, and that's, that's what I get to do for a living every day. I love both of these stories so much. And Ricky, if you write a book, will you please call it Kidnap County, please? Because I think that would sell. I will help you market it. I think that's brilliant. And then I got to ask, and we can edit this out if you don't want to answer this publicly, but uh, what happened to the girl? Oh, yeah. 
Um, she actually went on and graduated uh, drug court, and she is still clean, clean today. She does the same. She works in the service field of helping with people in addiction. Um, we broke up the day after I got an inpatient. I won't get into the exact details <laughs> of why that was, but it was my fault, 100%. Um, but yeah she's still clean today as well and doing very well for herself well thanks for answering that the other thing that I've really enjoyed about this conversation and this is when I know that I'm in community with people in recovery it's like we say these things where someone that hasn't walked through what we've walked through, they would not laugh, right? They would not think that was funny. But you're like, well, you know, the cocaine wasn't as good here. It's like, we're like, ha, 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 you know? So I just, that's what I know. I'm in good company with my people uh, because your stories resonate with me, even if our details are slightly different. Like our humor is the same. And I really appreciate that. Um I do have a couple of questions. I've never lived in a sober living house or Oxford, but I've had several sponsees that have. So I have visited and I've been in proximity and I know a little bit about them. How do they get more houses? How does that work? Uh, do people donate houses? Does does the organization buy houses? I'm really curious about that, the business side of how it actually continues to work. Well, I, can, I can at least speak to Oxford House. I know Jason will have a plethora of information when it comes to Walker. It works. There's quite a few different levels within the Walker organizations. Oxford House is pretty straightforward. We have a simple model for the most part uh, that's laid out on our website. But um, we get more houses oftentimes. Well, and it's changed over the years. We used to have to beat the streets and hit Greg's list. And if I'm driving down the road and I see a for rent sign, I take a picture of it. And when I get back home, I would call them and ask them about their house. Um, really it's a lot of it's just hitting the streets nowadays. It does. It's not uncommon to get phone calls from people whose lives have been touched by addiction. I've had family members that lived in a Knoxer house and they're doing very well. Um, and, and offering up, I've got this house. I'd love to give back and let's see if we can uh, make it an Oxford house. Um, I say, wonderful. I'll ask about the house. Now Oxford house doesn't own any houses. So, we we rent from Mr. and Mrs. Smith or Mr. Smith and um, all over the place. So, um, yeah, various different. Zillow, uh, a lot of word of mouth. We've actually, it's been pretty common. One of the blessings over the years has been there's been a lot of alumni of Oxford houses that have that. grown in their in their recovery and in their life and, and, and eventually get to a point where they are able to buy a house and they want to make it an Oxford house. You know what I mean, so um, definitely good. all kinds of different ways on how to make, you know, expand the Oxford House. Um, of course, the, the we we are affected a lot by the economy, like everybody else. You know what I mean, like everybody sure. else. Sure. Um, the mission statement, of course, is to provide safe and affordable housing for people who are recovering from substance abuse and alcohol and want to stay stopped, right? And so um, that that affordability can definitely play a factor on the expansion, right? Sure. Um, yeah. So we oftentimes, well, we do a lot due diligence and looking and, and investigating and doing our homework on the location before we give a green light to open it as a house. Uh, we're looking for obviously safe neighborhood. We're looking for uh, access to 12 step or churches or treatment centers, outpatient, inpatient, um, 
public transportation, I would imagine, being a big Absolutely. part of it. That's yeah. a big one. We're usually are looking for within a half mile to a bus transportation. Um, yeah, depending on. So, uh, yeah, the service is available, stores nearby. We're trying to make sure there's not a bar next door, you know what I mean, or something of that nature, a pot store or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? We're looking for a how do you do that now that there's one on every corner, in every like corner? How do you do that? <laughs> Absolutely. It, it wouldn't necessarily 100% disqualify. However, we really try to lean towards getting away from sure. that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. How many houses does Oxford House have in Washington State? So now? Currently right now, there's 247 Oxford Houses spread across the entire state of Washington, spread out. So uh, we're in 26 counties here in Washington State. Um, <laughs> Oxford House first men's house opened up in the late 1900s. Yes. 1990s, to be exact. For a long uh, time. It, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds way bigger when you say it's the late 1900s. <laughs> it's like on my horse and buggy. Okay. <laughs> And uh, has expanded <laughs> since then too. Yeah, we got almost thirty-one hundred beds, so uh, three thousand one hundred beds. We do have four different types of houses. We have men's houses, we have women's houses, we have men with children's houses, and we have women with children's houses. Men with children's houses. Yeah, those four. That was one of the questions I was going to ask. Oh. If you had housing for parents, yes, yeah, no, um, no that's so co-ed. amazing. We don't have any co-ed houses, I, I, right? So not for a whole family. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but we do have plenty of uh, so. that I've experienced: husbands who live in a men's house and wives who live in a women's house, and they working on their recovery and rebuilding their lives and together as well, but living in separate Oxford houses. So. Um, sometimes mom and child, wife and child live in one house and dad lives in a different house. Um, yeah, definitely over the years, I've seen many and many a different walks of life come together, utilizing recovery housing. I mean, really give them the safe home base for that to happen. So. What's the average number of people in a house? I know it obviously varies based off the size of the home, but like, what's the overall average? I'd say the average is right around eight people. Okay. House. Yeah. Um, it takes a minimum six members. So the house has to accommodate six people in order to be chartered with Oxford House and become an Oxford House. But I want to say that probably the largest that we have, which is a 5,000 square foot house in Redondo Beach, if you know what I mean, and it's got 12 members in it. But you can get lost in that house. <laughs> <laughs> And the owner of that house is an alumni as well and bought it specifically to make it an Oxford house. Yeah, it's been open for quite a few years. Helped a lot of individuals recover. I love that way of giving back. Yeah. I hope to do it one day. I'm not blessing so many coming behind them. Yeah. That's what we do, isn't it? In recovery. Yeah. I love that. Jason, how many houses does walker have would you say this time i at last count we were hovering i want to say right around one 135 140 right in there we we've got a few houses that are in the final stages the accreditation process we probably have 70 more right now that have 
identified a house and started the started the application and the accreditation um, the accreditation process. Um, just a quick overview of what what Walker is and uh, what we do as a whole. Walker under uh, Washington State Healthcare Authority contract, we inspect uh, inspect and and accredit all of the non Oxford houses across Washington State. Uh, back in 2019, there was some legislation that was passed that went into effect on January 1st of this year. Um, just a 50,000 foot overview. Um, all Oxford houses were included um, in that legislation, but the legislation basically reads that it is unlawful for any be any licensed behavioral health agency or Department of Health agency to make a referral to a recovery residence that is not listed on the healthcare authority's website. So two ways that um, a recovery residence here in Washington state can get onto that uh, healthcare authority website. One is if you're, uh, if you're chartered as an Oxford house, Oxford house um, obviously has a very time tested proven model. Um, so once, once a home uh, is temporarily chartered, uh, and then permanently chartered, of course, uh, they remain on that healthcare authority's website. The other avenue to get onto uh, the recovery residence registry is to go through um, the Walker certification uh, process. So here at Walker, what myself and my team do, we um, not only do we do uh, a fair amount of trainings and uh, webinars that we put on monthly, uh, we also provide technical assistance to recovery residence operators throughout Washington State, and then we handle the the accreditation uh, the accreditation process as well. So, if there is a if there's a provider here in uh, Washington State that is looking to open up a recovery residence, they'll simply go onto our website at walker.org and uh, click on click on start an application. Um, once they start that application, it automatically uh, triggers an email that goes out to my uh, accreditation staff. We get a Zoom set up with them and uh, meticulously walk them through walk them through the accreditation process. It's, it all starts out with an application and then uploading uh, a great deal of documents, uh, rules, policies, procedures, um, uh, legal documents, um, we just want to be sure that they have got a good firm model in place and a good understanding of what uh, a recovery resident should look like. Um, after we receive all of those uh, documents, my team then assigns those out to a document reviewer who goes over uh, in great detail all of the all of the documents that they have turned in. What we're looking for, um, again, in those documents is a good model, but to take it a step further, that all of those rules, policies, and procedures that they upload um, align with what are called the NAR, the National Alliance of Recovery Residences, um, all, of the, all of the standards and guidelines that they have, that they have set up as best practices for across the United States. Um, Walker, um, we have adopted all of those rules, policies, and procedures. Again, all of those documents they upload must directly correlate and align with uh, those standards that are out there. After 
after we get through in uh, the document review process, we actually uh, take some time either in person or via, uh, via Zoom. And we do an extensive interview with that provider, basically take a little bit of a deeper dive, if you will, into their organization, find out exactly what their application process looks like, what their, um, what's explained to the newcomers when they come in, just to be sure that they have full, full transparency, uh, such as some, if somebody relapses, what, what does that look like? What can the person expect? Um, if the person moves out of the home, what does that look like? Um, what does that look like financially? We just, um, we want to be sure that everything is presented to everybody up front and that there is full, full transparency all the way across the board. After we, after we get through with the, the interview process, we, um, we actually go to each individual house that we accredit and we do a thorough inspection, uh, on the house to be sure that there is egress windows, that there's smoke detectors, that there's Narcan, uh, in every home. Um, then, and only then after we get through that, uh, inspection process and all of the, all of the other aspects, do we, do we finally, uh, issue accreditation on that, on that home? Um, the, the accreditation, uh, is good for one year. And, um, again, the following year, we, we follow up and do a document review to check and see if there's any new policies and procedures that they've implemented. And again, do, do an inspection, inspection on the home to be sure everything is still good there. That's so amazing. And I remember uh, when that uh, bill was up during the legislative session, we actually at KCRC and the Washington Recovery Alliance advocated for that, um, putting those um, that oversight and regulation like into place for recovery houses, since there had been such a rash of houses where yeah. they were preying yeah. on people who were new to recovery and things, you know, with the money and sex and drugs and all of that. And it's just yeah. so amazing now to see what has um, come from that and creating such safety and wonderful places for people to actually be able to go and be um, vulnerable in early recovery and be supported in such a way. I'm just so thrilled to see what's come from that. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a great thing, Heather. And if when the law was, when the law first went into effect, we, um, we actually went through what's called the green book here in Washington state and send out a blast email and mailing to all of the, all of the behavioral health agencies. And a lot of the, a lot of the recovery residences out there that, that we could find initially, and I was, uh, to be honest, I was a little optimistic to start with thinking, uh, I, I'm hoping that we get a lot of, a lot of people that reach out and ask for accreditation. But part of me was thinking that a lot of people would perhaps still want to remain in the shadows, if you will, and, and do what they do. But it's been, it's been, it's been great. The response that we get and that we continue to get, we just, we literally get applications that are coming in every day from great providers here in Washington state, ethical providers here in Washington state that are trying, that are trying to do the next right thing to, to help, to help, uh, individuals. And we, we've all heard the horror stories about, uh, the individuals that are out there that just won't think uh, recovery residence means nothing more than hanging a shingle on your front door and, and calling you that, yeah. you know, Heather, as you touched on, whether it's, trading sex for rent or warehousing, putting four bunk beds in, in one room, um, with, with, with the, 
with the Walker accreditation model that's out there with, with the Oxford House, the the collaboration that we have uh, in in working together. You know, I I still get calls from the from the individuals who I had the privilege of working with for years at Oxford House. Hey, Jason, we we've got a house over here and we, we, we don't think they're doing so good. I quickly have my team reach out to them. Hey, this is who we are. We're here to help you. What can we do to help you through this to hopefully, hopefully get, get you accredited. You know, it's been a, it's been a great, uh, it's been a, it's been a great partnership and um, yeah, it, it's just great. The, the overwhelming response and support so far that we've got from Washington state as a whole. Congratulations. Um, I'm interested in hearing if there's any um, examples of people whose lives have just been incredibly transformed by uh, having the opportunity and the blessing to stay in an Oxford house or a Walker recovery residence that you can share that um, are just moments that for you are like, oh my gosh, this is why we do what we do. And, and um, I'm sure there's like so many that you see on a daily basis, but if there's a couple you'd like to share here, I'd love for our audience to hear about the hope and, um, you know, the gift of recovery that having that type of recovery support can offer. Well, one, one favorite experience, I think that always comes to mind because I get asked this question quite often, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I bet. um, and I mean, the, one of the more recent, um, I had, I was opening two helping because I don't do it by myself, but I was helping to open two houses at the same time, right? Which can be a, a bit for one person. So that's why I say not by myself. Um, and one of the houses was going to be a men with children's house. And one of the houses was going to be a men's house, just a regular men's house without children. There had been a delay that happened with the men with children's house. However, we had already set up core membership. That's people moving from other houses into that house to help kind of get it up and running and started. And one of the gentlemen that was gonna be a core member at that men and children's house um, was working with CPS and, and trying to gain uh, custody of his son, Connor. Good little guy. <laughs> he. Uh, well, so this delay couldn't have had worse timing, right? Because he literally had already started the process, had talked with them about, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move into this with children's house that is set up around the protection of children just as much as the individual members, right? And so it kind of caused it to, uh, um, a challenge for him. And so in speaking with the core members for the regular men's house about the challenge that had come up um, with this gentleman and that he's trying to get his son back. I spoke with them and I said, so here's where my debacle is, is I would really love to, can we make this one the with children's house instead of making the other one with children's house? We'll make that one a men's house when it opens. And there are always some hesitation because the rules are a little bit different in our with children houses. They are set up around protection of the children and we work closely with CPS and set guidelines and um, I don't know if restrictions is the right word, but um, there's no overnight guests in, in a with children's house. There's no sex right. allowed in the house. There's um, So there's not strangers walking around. If a kid were to get up in the middle of the night, someone they don't know, right? And so um, 
which means they can't have their girlfriend stay the night if they live in a with children's house to get to the point. <laughs> right? so, um, <laughs> gracefully, though, gracefully, they actually said, you know, that's absolutely important. So let's go ahead and do that. And they, the two members that were opening the house agreed. We made it a man with children's house. Uh, we invited the gentleman to come and move over. And he took a walk through the house and fell in love with the guys and the house. Uh, we worked pretty closely over the next three to six months with CPS visits, having um, the, the powers that be that make the decisions come walk through the house. Um, they also as well um, got to see the family photos on the wall, right? Because that you only keep what you got by giving it away. And um, that's a tradition that I have carried on with every house that I've ever opened. Once the house is initially full, we got to do a family photo so we can hang it on the wall. Um, and I tell them the story, right? Out of hope and hopefully inspiration. Um, I want to say it took about three and a half months, four months, maybe five. And little Connor became the first little man member in Hillwood, Oxford. Um, he was he was very quiet and taken back, which was understandable at first. But one of the blessings was we got to uh, experience the lights come on similar to someone coming out of addiction into recovery. And we're seeing it in this little three-year-old, you know what I mean? Lights are coming on, he starts talking, he starts having good times. Um, and then COVID hit, right? So then COVID hit and the mandate was that you're not visiting elsewhere, you're not coming and going and everybody's kind of staying at home. Um, watching and being able to be an experience of every member within that house through that come together. It was, whether it was for holidays, whether it was for birthdays during the mandate. I mean, that kid had presents and trees, you know, Christmas trees and decorations. Um, one of my favorite memories with him, honestly, uh, Connor, he lived there for quite a few years and they are doing very well. They moved back home uh, to New York back to a family and they're doing very well with their family out in New York. Um, we still communicate and it's been a couple few years since then. Uh, but one of my favorite memories was that um, I had growing up with my grandmother was my grandmother had property and she had a garden. And I guess me being young and, and unaware, but I didn't realize potatoes grew in the ground. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> I have this vivid memory of my grandmother taking me out to the garden and handing me a little shovel and telling me to start digging. And I'm coming across potatoes. And she said it was like it was Christmas. I had no idea. It was it's just a fantastic memory that I always carried with me as a young one. Um, but I was able to do that with Connor and Jesse, his dad, also had never dug up potatoes before. And I'm like, yeah, come on. And uh, so I. It was pretty amazing. Then we brought the potatoes in and we got to cook a meal. And I mean, this just might be something so simple, but um, Jesse, Jesse is dad's name. He, he and Connor are doing very well. They still send me pictures and, and I get to watch them on Facebook. Um, and, and, and they are, they are a family. You know what I mean? They are a family again. And, and uh, it's just one of the miracles, I guess, that recovery housing one of the effects and the ripple effects because it doesn't only affect 
Jesse. It doesn't only affect Connor's son. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse's mom and and aunts and uncles, and I see pictures of. I mean, just this family. You know what I mean? That, and I can't. I'm no future teller. You know what I mean? I can't. I can't say for sure one way this is how it would have been or wouldn't have been. But what I do know is that that particular Oxford house and and the people that were there to pitch in helped reunite and create that family that maybe not, maybe wouldn't have been, if that makes sense, without that opportunity. Does that make sense? It's a great story. It's a beautiful story. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. He is amazing. But I've definitely seen lots of people go into school, um, CDP counselors now working for Washington State. I mean, we have an alumni that I just met with the other day who uh, works in contracts and uh, behavioral health and, you know, doing very well for herself. Um, Yeah, I I love the fact that most people that get into recovery have the gratitude to turn around and give back. Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter's mom um, was a recovering addict um, opiate addict on the streets of Seattle. Um, throughout her addiction, she said there was one place that ever made her feel like she was human. Always, no matter what. Didn't matter what condition she was in, what she was going through, they treated her with respect. And that was at the King County Needle Exchange. She said they, they just always were. I can remember I met her in a Oxford house. Um, she got involved in the local college, got her associate's degree. Um, I think it was when she got her three years clean, she was buying flowers and taking a trip over to Seattle from Bremerton to bring flowers to that King County Needle Exchange to say thank you, because had they not, she may not have been there. Um, She went on to get her bachelor's degree at the University of Washington, and then her master's degree at the University of Washington, Seattle. Um, and then turned around and applied to be a social worker at that same very King County Needle Exchange where she got the job, worked there for quite a long time. Now she works with the health department in harm reduction, um, helping folks full circle. You know what I mean? Truly a testament of what recovery can do for people's lives. It's amazing what can happen when we're met with that compassion and kindness and generosity when we need it the most. And it sure sounds like Oxford House and Walker are meeting people and surrounding them with that love and connection and community and just helping give them a step up um, as they're building that foundation, right? Which is so important in early recovery, you know, in those first few years, if we can just wrap support services around someone um recovery is possible and we live our very best lives and miracles are happening every day i'm so grateful for that um thank you all for joining me today for this amazing conversation um while we're recording it's actually 2023 still uh the holiday season and kcrc does a campaign each year around our gifts of recovery. And we ask people who are in recovery or loved ones or people that work in recovery to share what you consider to be gifts of recovery to help us reduce stigma and show that recovery is possible. Um, So I would love to end today's episode by asking all three of you, if you would quickly share some of your gifts of recovery with us. 
Well, you know, I, there are so many, so I, I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But um, I think what's hitting me right in this moment is how I show up in relationships today as a, as a woman in long-term recovery is wildly different than how I showed up prior to putting down the alcohol and the drugs and is actually really different than how I was in early recovery too. <laughs> I was a little bit of a hot mess yeah. in early recovery, you guys. I don't know if that comes as a surprise, right? Um, because yeah. those early years, like I thought just stopping drinking and stopping using would be enough. And I didn't really change any other behaviors. And that's very, very common, right? And um, and then I hit a point where I was like, I was almost more broken than when I came in because my because I because nothing changes if nothing changes. And so you know, coming, coming, coming through this holiday season and, and, and reflecting on the relationships I have with my parents, with my 27 year old son, with my coworkers, with my friends, it's different. You know, it's so different. And I show up, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm still really annoying in a lot of ways, but I, I show up differently now. And they know that if I commit to something, I'm going to see it through, you know? So that's, it doesn't get any better than that. And I love the little stories, the little moments, like the potato story, Ricky, like that's where the juice is. Like service work is the secret sauce. You know, community is yes, the secret is. sauce to recovery. And that's all we've heard today is community, 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 community. So that that's, that's my two cents. Thanks, Elise. You know, some of the, some of the most important gifts that I've, I guess that I've got in recovery is rebuilding relationships. Uh, yeah. Some of my divorces, um, definitely with my children, when that all ended, when I was in addiction, all ended very, very badly. Today, I'm happy to say I have better relationships uh, with my children's mothers today than I ever had when we were married. I have much better relationships today with my children than, uh, than I ever had. It's amazing to get to be, to get to be a part of their lives. Uh, it's amazing to get to give back and um, and contribute to society as a whole in, in a positive manner, rather than all of the all of the negative stuff that I was out there doing, all of the all of the all of the bad, if you will, that I was um, that I was doing in in my mind to the to the world. You know, I've got a lot of I've got a, I've got a lot of touching stories from from over the years that uh, individuals that that have, that have made it and came out the other side and one hundred percent recovery recovery definitely it is possible you know I I like to tell everybody you can offer somebody all of the services under the sun uh, whether that's mental health treatment SUD treatment all of the wraparound services I will go on and on. But unless somebody has a safe, stable place right. to lay their head down at the end of the night, really all of those services are for nothing. Uh, the truth of the matter is, whether it's a Walker accredited uh, house at uh, a level uh, a level two, whether it's level three or four houses at the Department of Health um, uh, licenses, or whether it's a level one house here in uh, Washington State, and those are primarily Oxford houses. We have a very, very low vacancy rate all, all across our state. And the truth of the matter is we need, we need more recovery houses out here, out here at, at all levels, you know, and 
like Ricky, um, I continue to do what I do each and every day because there was somebody there. There was somebody that took that collect call for me and uh, offered me the uh, the opportunity to be able to grow and turn into the man man I am today. I I'm very blessed to wake up. Uh, I'm very blessed to wake up every morning with my with my freedom, uh, with my sobriety, and with my the ability to be able to pass that on and help others. Yeah, I'd have to say probably for me, my my most favorite and cherished gift of recovery is family yeah, as well. Yeah. And, and almost the same as you guys, just in a little different tone as well. Um, recovery has for, forever changed my relationships with my immediate family. But quite a bit step even further is that Jason, family, Heather, family, Alyssa, Welcome to the family. <laughs> We've met now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a, it, it's the family has grown so much more than just the immediate family. You know what I mean? You got brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and um, Musham, which is native for grandpa even. Um, I've gained so much in family and recovery all over the country. You know what I mean? I legitimately anywhere all over the country, I've I've, I've gained family. Um, I'd say that's probably, and of course, I definitely my my I got a ten year old, but my kids still amaze me every day. You know what I mean? So the fact that I get to be there and experience that truly a gift in recovery. You know, first time that my 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 kids' mom allowed my kids to come back into my life. I'd been in the Oxford house for about six, eight months, I want to say, before she was trusting enough to allow me to have my kids coming out of addiction. And um, I was in a shared room, and I had three kids. So it could be a challenge. My house said, well, why don't you grab the tent out in the garage and set it up in the downstairs living room, throw a bunch of sleeping bags and pillows in there, and have them over for the weekend. So that's how we spent the first weekend of me having my kids at a Knoxford house, in a tent, in the downstairs living room. Uh, big slumber party. It was amazing. So, definitely <laughs> grateful for recovery. Uh, I mean, I mean, words can't express that. Thank you so much, Ricky and Jason and Elise, for joining me today. Um, if you're looking for an Oxford House um, spot, you can go to www.oxford vacancies.com. You can also go to oxfordhouse.org for more information or walker.org, which is w-a-q-r-r.org. Um, recovery news for today is um, this Gifts of Recovery campaign that we're doing. We like to do it all year round, not just during the holidays. So if you're inspired by today's episode and you'd like to uh, help us reduce stigma and show that not only is recovery possible, but it's awesome, um, please share a picture or a video or a phrase about gifts of your recovery on whatever social media platform you use and use the hashtag gifts of recovery. Thank you so much. Um, also, if you are interested, if we piqued your interest in recovery advocacy today, talking about the bill that is now um, 
you know, been stood up to life that is helping create safe and um, regulated recovery houses. You can join WRA and KCRC in Olympia on January 25th, 2024. Uh, we're bringing hundreds of people in recovery and allies and loved ones and families to speak and meet with our lawmakers and ask for their support uh, in providing pro-recovery services and supports and funding. And I think one of the bills this year may have to do with recovery housing and capital. So those are things that are in the news for us today. I'd love to thank my co-host, Elise Bryson, the sober curator, always a great gift to have you in the house and the work P2P production team who works their magic and helps bring this podcast to you, the audience, every two weeks. And of course, to King County Behavioral Health and Recovery Division for helping make this podcast series possible. Thank you so much. Happy 2024. I know it's the new year uh, when you're listening. And until we come together again, be well. And this is our family picture for, for this gathering today. I love that. Thank you, Ricky and Jason. I'm Heather Venegas. Thanks for listening to King County Recovery Conversations, a place to celebrate recovery and help break the stigma of addiction and mental health. If you or a loved one are experiencing substance use disorder, problem gambling, and or a mental health challenge, please visit the Washington Recovery Helpline at warecoveryhelpline.org for resources and a 24-hour helpline. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to our production team at Work P2P Studios. If you'd like to share your recovery journey with us, please email me at heather at kcrecovery.org. We'll be back in two weeks with another story of hope, resilience, and healing.